civic service when did that come to you why not ballet why not <laughs> modeling or yeah, no I mean for for me you know government is what changed my family's life using a lot of government programs growing up that's why I'm in this position and we've got to benefit from that would you be our first Filipina elected official in the state I would be would you want to be a hundred percent this is an honest question yeah. and I'll, I'll I really want to I'll probably uh, peel the onion on this one but because I really need you to to go there and actually fight for that. But why are we underfunded? Welcome to the Paco's Place Podcast. Visit abbotteservices.com for fast medical transcription service. This podcast episode is brought to you by AB Music Creative. And the podcast will begin in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Ladies and gentlemen... Finally, live at Paco's place, Miss Jessica Caloza. Why are you running? Right off the bat, why are you running? Uh, I'm running because of family. Uh, I'm running because my parents um, did the hard part and they emigrated here from the Philippines. Uh, we came here when I was really young, when I was just four. Uh, I'm the youngest of six. Uh, I have two brothers, three sisters, and my family waited a really long time for our papers. Um, and They waited here? No, they waited in, in the, the Philippines. Philippines. Wow. Yeah, and so, um, you know, still a common story to this day from not just for immigrants from the right. Philippines, but from all countries just really wanting to seek a better life in the U.S. for their family. So you were four. Yes. Your eldest was probably... 10 or a teenager? Um, they were in teens, yes. So that was a different kind of trauma for them because they probably had their friends and everybody else, right? They were transitioning mm. when they were adults. Oh, and man. so um, it was much tougher. They had to go straight into transitioning to finding jobs, yeah. to providing for um, our family. And for me, because I transitioned when I was really young, I had really an opportunity to start school here from scratch. It was easy to assimilate. Um, I don't know if it was easy as if, but I was younger, so it was easier. Um, but I came here not knowing a word of English. Um, my, my sister, Christine, my eldest sister, she bought me a used hooked on phonic set <laughs> on the penny saver and um, my siblings all worked. And so they didn't have time to teach me how to speak English. They just said, match the cassette tape color with a coloring book and you figure it out. And, and so that's how I learned English was really through teaching myself, uh, of course, when my siblings and my parents would have time. But that is, for so many people, the immigrant experience. Okay, four years old, you had enough time to go to school. Your, your siblings were transitioning from Philippine life, probably with, did you guys have house helps in the Philippines? Um, yes, we okay, had so house help We lived with a lot of people. So house help to no house help. Now they had to find jobs. Civic service, when did that come to you? Why not ballet? Why not <laughs> modeling? Yeah, or? no. I mean, for, for me, um, you know, government is what changed my family's life. Um, using a lot of government programs. 
uh, growing up. That's why I'm in this position, and we've got to benefit from that. You were exposed to it, of course. Um, you know, we use so many programs, uh, whether it's food assistance or housing assistance, or um, you know, getting help for, to pay for college. Yeah. Um, these are all the programs that really are the safety net for immigrant families, low-income families, and so I wanted to go into government to make it better. But when did it come to you? It was when I was in college. Mm. Um, I ended up having a, a life or death experience. Ended up uh, working too many jobs. I was a senior at UC San Diego. I was the first in my family to actually graduate from college. Um, I double majored in political science and ethnic studies. And I was just so burnt out that I ended up in the hospital. Uh, so I'm only here because of two reasons. Uh, one, because my mom, Gigi, found me. Um, she found me Shout as I out. was. Yeah. And she found me and she took me to the emergency room. And um, two, because of the Affordable Care Act. Uh, one of the things that then President Obama fought for was mm. the ability for people to stay insured on yeah. their parents' plan until after they graduated from college. And I ended up, unfortunately, in the hospital on my birthday. And so it was this freak accident. I ended up having walking pneumonia for a few you weeks. Didn't, you, you didn't know. I just stopped waking up. And uh, I ended up uh, having um, freaking out my mom because she was trying to greet me happy birthday and I didn't pick up. So she drove to San Diego and found me. And so that's why I feel like I'm living my second life. But that's why uh, public policy is, poor to, is important. Government yeah. is important because if it were not for the Affordable Care Act, I would be in hundreds of thousands of dollars of medical debt. And this is a story that's true for a, a lot. lot of people. Millions of Americans are now insured because of Obamacare mm -hmm. or the Affordable Care Act. And that's what government means. It means sometimes you get sick. It means sometimes you get laid off. It means sometimes uh, something bad happens to you and who is there to catch you. Uh, yeah. That's why this is important. You know, I've had an incredible opportunity to work for our first black president, our first Jewish mayor yes. of L.A., uh, and our first Filipino attorney general. And now I'm setting out to become our first Filipino woman ever elected to the California state legislature. And so for me, I've been given a lot of opportunity from my parents and my siblings, and they've sacrificed so that I can do more. Yeah. And that's what this is. It's being able to do more with experiences and the opportunities that I've been given and be able to open more doors for people like myself. You know, and that's why I'm running. Anong kasama sa platform? What are you running on? I mean, one of the things that I'm very passionate about is public school education. Um, unfortunately, our school system uh, has been failing here in California. We are ranked in the bottom 10. We're ranked 44 out of 50 nationally. Why? We're of underfunded public school education for decades. So in the richest state, in the richest nation, we are in the bottom 10. But why are we underfunded? We're, This is an honest question. Yeah. And I'll, I'll, I really want to, I'll probably uh, peel the onion on this one, but because I really need you to to go there and actually fight for that. But why are we underfunded? I mean, one of the ways uh, that we're underfunded is how we fund schools. Mm. You know, we fund schools based off of attendance. 
uh, instead of based off of enrollment. So you can imagine during COVID how tumultuous that is to be able to fund schools based off of attendance. Uh, If you have a child in school and they get COVID or their parents get COVID and they have to stay at home for two weeks, that is two weeks worth of money that that school doesn't get because your child didn't go to school. Uh, versus an enrollment-based model, where if you're enrolled in a school system, you should get funding for that full year. Right. Um, but there's so many ways in which you know we don't allow for our schools to really thrive and be successful. Uh, I talk to teachers, to classified staff, to students who can't even vote, and they're having to fundraise for basic school supplies. Art teachers are trying to fundraise to buy $100 worth of art supplies. And and that's where we're at. Um, we don't have the supports in place for people to actually be successful. And for students, uh, many of them don't have the support that they need to even explore other careers. You know that, why? Um, because of lack of funding, most uh, students are pushed into college, which is good. Some students should go to college, but some students um, may not want to go to college. Yeah. You know, I think we need to offer all the pathways. Um, some students should be uh, exposed to go to a pre-apprenticeship or apprenticeship program, like a trade school where you learn on the job and you get paid. Or a vocational. Or a vocational yeah. school or... Um, being exposed arts. to the arts. Uh, there's so many different ways. Um, and then in addition to that, if you're a parent, uh, how difficult it is to actually support a student in school by having access to affordable, high-quality child care, we know is a major problem. You know, it is uh, oftentimes a financial calculation now whether mm-hmm. or not to have a kid. And that's very different than when you're in the Philippines, yeah. right? It's not a financial calculation, but here in the United States, it is, right? It's a financial calculation. You know, for me, I didn't have any um, childcare growing up because either my siblings took care of me, I went to the library, I went to a neighbor's house, but that's uh, a very different situation than most people are at now. I have um, an 11-year-old and an eight-year-old. Mm. So I have a 28, I have two 15s, I have an 11, and I have an 8. Mm-hmm. I can't pick up my my son until after 5.30 p.m. Mm. Or else he gets booted out of the after-school program. Okay. And I'm like, what if I'm done with work? And, right. And it's cold. He's in school. He has to stay like, like I'm. I'm already at home. I have to wait till five thirty to pick him up. And and I asked the the moderator, why is it like this? And she said, budget, because we don't have enough slots for for all the students. Mm. So the criteria now is, if your child doesn't need it, we'll kick him out. And I'm like, that's. So is that part of the whole thing that you guys are going to take a look into also with regard to funding, budgets, after-school programs and activities? And I haven't heard that one yet, but that's definitely something I'll look into. But that's all part of it. You know, I think our entire education system needs, um, you know, a, a revamped, needs to be reformed. And one of the biggest things that we need to do is to make sure to include the opinions yeah. and the feedback of parents 
of students, of, you know, the broader community, because we're all impacted by, um, you know, the child yeah. in school. Yeah. You know, whether or not you are the apartment or the house that's living in and around the school, you're going to be impacted mm. by drop-off pickup. <laughs> that's the hard um, part there. Or you're going to be impacted whether or not, um, you know, you're a small business that's in the surrounding community that relies on foot traffic yes. from the business. But it's it's an entire ecosystem that we really need to look at. But um, public school education is, is one of my top priorities. What's another priority that you have? Uh, one of the priorities that I have as well is making sure that um, I get more... Um, uh, underrepresented communities appointed to boards and commissions. Um, you know, for me, that was my pathway to leadership. I had an incredible opportunity to be appointed as the first Filipina American on the Board of Public Works. Um, the Board of Public Works is unique in that it's the only full-time uh, paid commission in the city of L.A., uh, we uh, were responsible for providing services for 4 million residents. We had almost 6,000 staff, and we oversaw a multi-billion dollar budget. And so I oversaw the infrastructure portfolio and the public procurement portfolio. And so for me, that was uh, a huge part of my pathway to running for office. And I want to make sure that uh, more people get to serve, especially in state boards and commissions. And there are openings um, all the time. And I want to be aggressive in getting people from the district um, uh, appointed. And so the district includes um, the southern portion of Glendale, so everything mm. south of the 134. Okay. It includes northeast LA, so it includes Eagle Rock, Highland Park, Echo Park, Silver Lake, Los Feliz. Uh, I'm just explaining the neighborhoods in Assembly District 52 yeah. where I'm running. But when you were in public works, what were you handling? Just LA? The city of LA has 4 million residents. What was your responsibility? Uh, I was the commissioner for uh, the Board of Public Works. And part of that was an old Filipino town arc that... Yep, that was my project. How did that come about? Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go there because if you, if you, if you go to a uh, historic Filipino town, you'll see that big. What do you call it? That welcome sign. It's a gateway. The gateway. If you see the gateway, you you spearheaded that. How did that come about? Yeah, so it's a project that the community has been advocating for for almost 20 years, and so when I was appointed in 2019, um, the community came to me and said. We've been trying to get this uh, funded and approved for a really long time. Can you help us? And I said, yes, I, I will do everything in my power. So there's uh, the community leaders came together, um, city council, the mayor's office, our departments, and we all rallied together to find funding, to get it approved, well, and to get it built. What was your conversation? Like like the non-political way of saying it, when, when somebody goes to you, Again, like let's say I'm a community leader and, and I come to you because for the past 20 years, I'm frustrated that my, my historic Filipino town doesn't even look close or represent historic Filipino town. And I voice out my concern. And 20 years ago, you were not even in politics or maybe in school or whatever. And now here you are, I'm burdening you with this problem. How do you go to the council? How do you, how do you represent the 20-year-old problem? How did you get it done? Don't don't give me the 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 showbiz answer. Yeah, no, this is what I did. <laughs> I'm telling you, you know, I took and really studied what the community had done for the last 17 years. Um, you know, they didn't hand me nothing. They had 
a plan. Um, they had some initial designs. They had uh, done a beautification plan with then uh, Mayor Eric Garcetti, or I'm sorry, then Council Member Garcetti. Uh, he um, actually is the one who designated historic Filipino towns. So I, I, I went to go uh, speak to everybody who was involved in the project to learn and understand what happened and what the roadblocks were. Um, and for me, I'm in a unique position. I was um, no longer staff. I was a commissioner. I was one of five people. I have a, a lot of power uh, and influence and a vote um, to be on the Board of Public Works, to be able to um, direct resources and to really uh, be an ambassador for the community. And, you know, met with the council, met with the mayor's office and and worked on it to to find the funding to really um, cut the red tape to get this built um, because you know for me that's always how I've worked is is I'm going to uh, if I take a project I'm going to run with it I'm going to do it uh, and I will find a way to get it done even in the middle of a pandemic um, and for me it was unique because I oversaw uh, the Bureau of Engineering um, which is who spearheaded this project. Yeah. And so worked uh, really closely with our staff and our general managers to really take the plans, uh, work with our consultants and actually get something built. Worked with a, an incredible artist, um, Eliseo Art Silva, um, who's based in the Philippines, nice. who also helped design the mural um, uh, outside of uh, Rideback Ranch, uh, which is now a, a film studio um, in historic Filipino town. Mm -hmm. But... Um, you know, we just got it done. You know, we really worked hard to... to How many years? Uh, well, I took it up in 2019 when I got in and we uh, cut the ribbon in 2022. <laughs> so, uh, got it. so, it took three years. Put the mic close. <laughs> uh, it took three years and uh, it took a lot of determination, a lot of persistence and uh, a lot of project management and, you, and not taking no for an answer. Let's talk about not taking no for an answer because rejection happens. Any facet of life, rejection happens. Of course. You're in a dog eat dog environment. Of course. How do you get to a yes? How, how do you prepare your mind for the no that will come your way? And the reason why I want to ask you this question is because yeah. new immigrants coming to the states you know how filipinos are timid right? right especially if you're a new immigrant you're timid you think you just have to go with the flow do as they say and all that and here you are you just mentioned something that i was about to ask you you, you don't take no for an answer but it starts with your mindset how did you switch that um well i was i was a commissioner so for me, it was a bit different. Um, if you're working on this project and your staff, um, you know, you have different level of authority. You have a lot more approvals to get through. Um, but being a commissioner, again, one of five, the Board of Public Works is the only full-time paid commission in the city. You really have a lot of, um, you know, influence to actually get work done if you choose to. And I always choose to. Uh, and so for me, I have no excuse not to do anything. And it wasn't just the big things that I focused on because mm. this is one of the big things. But I also focused on all the smaller things, the day-to-day -day Simultaneous services. with the big things, right? Of course. People yeah. would call me about uh, tree trimming, sidewalk repair, <laughs> miss, uh, miss pickups for trash and recycling. All of it mattered to me because all of this, 
these are quality of life issues. Yes. Uh, and that's the experience that I'm going to take with me uh, when I go to the state legislature right. is all of this very rich, deep local experience to know what it's like to walk somebody through um, getting their trash picked up. You have to know what that feels like and how to actually get it done. Because if you can't do that right, there's no way you're going to get a gateway built. And so for me, all of that matters. And so, uh, and one of the biggest things that matters to me, um, also because of my family's experiences of dealing with government, is to really make sure that you have um, and you give everybody who interacts with government a good experience to tell them and to show them that you can solve their problem. Uh, and that's really important because most people, um, you know, may not want to reach out to government to ask for help or they don't know how. And then the first time they do, they get put on hold. That's, that's me. Guys. Or they get referred and that's me. <laughs> and then you get disillusioned Yeah. and then you're less likely to reach out. Uh, and so for me, whether it's on the board of public works or, um, in the role that I'm seeking now, you know, I don't think there should be any wrong door. Um, and if it's uh, an issue for another level of government, to make sure to explain that to you, to refer you, uh, introduce you uh, in the right way so that you can get the help that you need. Right. That's what we're there for. Uh, and for me, uh, you know, every election cycle, and this is how I hope voters um, see this, is that people are interviewing to work for you. That's what an election is. People are interviewing to work for you. So if you live in Glendale, and Northeast LA and East LA, uh, this is my job interview because that's the job is to work for people, to work for constituents, to work for voters and to provide resources at the government level and bring them back to your neighborhood. That's the job. Now, the work ethic that you had when you were at um, UC San Diego, wherein you were just work, 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 work seems to me that you brought that all the way up to here right now just based on the conversation that we're having two major uh, platforms already that you've mentioned is there a third is there a fourth yeah i mean there's so many of them you know um making sure that we uh, focus on the environment and the climate that's really important um you know growing up my family um, didn't talk to me about the environment, but they would talk to me about the impacts of the environment, not really knowing that that's what it was, right? Mm -hmm. Like in the Philippines, people will say that, ah, you know, yeah. right? Like it's really hard to breathe because of the pollution outside. True. That is part of the climate crisis, right? Or when we say, ah, maduin tubig or hindi malinis yung tubig, right? That is part of the climate crisis. And like here, um, for some of my nieces and nephews, uh, my family never talked to me about the climate, but they'll say, oh, my nieces and nephews, they have eczema. You know, they have um, issues and, and they, ha they have very sensitive skin. And that's very much tied to the environment, what's in our water and our air. So you can kind of see the ways in which we don't have the language yeah. to talk about how the climate impacts us and our quality of life, but it does and we just don't have the language to talk about it uh, in our everyday lives. But uh, for me, the district is so diverse. It has a big immigrant community. It has a lot of low income, middle income families. And you know, one of the biggest uh, sources of pollution is from our vehicles. Mm. And so how do we uh, curate a city 
that has uh, better access to public transportation, safe public transportation? How do we have better access so that people can actually afford uh, a hybrid vehicle or an electric vehicle, right? Because right now, um, for most people, it's out of reach because it's too expensive, right? Yeah. It is very expensive to care about the environment. And so how do we as a state, and if you're a legislator, how do we make sure that we make the environment as equitable as possible oh, for I'll all go, families? I'll, I'll, I'm going to go hot topic. Sige. Why are our taxes so high? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, does it have to be so high? Yeah, I don't know the answer to your question. <laughs> but don't, question don't, that, but uh, don't you see it as, as high? Being, being from California, even gas, right? Everything is so expensive in California. And I tell my friends, if you leave California, you're not going to be able to come back. <laughs> is it necessarily supposed to be high? I mean, these are a lot of the things that we as voters approve. Right, so every year on the ballot, have you seen a the lot ballot? Them, yes. You see how small that is. You know, when I'm reading the ballot, I'm like, do I need to read this? <laughs> well, that's a big part of you know my job as a candidate is also just civic engagement, voter education. Yes. You know, for me, um, you know, we have a lot of issues and things that you know we wish were better in California. A lot of things that we know we want to complain about, uh, and part of it sometimes you realize you may have voted for that yourself. <laughs> can we can we put something instead of in the fine print? Is there? This is probably on on my wish list. Can we put? Uh, like a caller code if the tax will go high because I said yes to this. There's a caller that, oh, red, high tax, green, lower <laughs> tax. Or red and blue, red and blue. Oh, that could be a good idea. I mean, and and there, there's lots of really good voter guides right now, um, whether it's from media yeah. or different democratic clubs or organizations that we're putting it out. But that's our responsibility, right, as voters to make sure that we continue to educate ourselves about the things that impact our life and what we're voting on, right? Um, and it's on the ballot, you know, every single election year. Um, there's lots of things that we're going to be voting on. Um, and, you know, for this next cycle, there's going to be a presidential election there's going to be uh, races at the state level, at the county level, at the local level, at the school board level. National, no? It's a big election year. Pala, it's a no? very big election year. And so um, that's why it's important to engage Filipinos. You know, in this district, there are um, about 13,000 Filipino voters. And so that is a very large margin. Um, and for... Uh, some would say uh, potentially the margin of victory uh, for me to make, make, it, make it past March. But that's really what we're up against is right now I'm running for a seat that is open. And um, there's about six or seven other people running. For I'm the same seat. For the same seat. I'm the only Asian American running, the only Filipina. And so that's why it's important to get the vote out to our Filipinos to make sure you all vote, you get your ballot in February. So that means we'll see less of you if you win? I don't know if it's less of me. Will you be in Sacramento? Uh, I, I will worry about that problem um, after I after. So I that win. means we can't invite you on the podcast if you win. Or maybe I'll invite you to Sacramento. Parang <laughs> <laughs> so. it's exciting to have you. But do you even rest? 
No. Um, but you never learned from that uh, college girl <laughs> days. No, I mean, like I said, my parents did the hard work. And, you know, every single day, every single year, we see um, immigrants who come to this country to find a better life for themselves. And that's what it's about, you know. And I think when I go back home to the Philippines, I also see the life that I could have had, mm. you know. And I feel very fortunate because there's so much I still want to do. And we're just talking about domestic politics yeah. but there's so much that I want to do to help my family in the Philippines. Okay, okay. Akala ko, akala ko domestic politics tapos next ano na, di ba? National. Oh, hindi. Pa- oh. So, <laughs> bakit, <laughs> bakit hindi? I mean, unfortunately, you can't run for president then, no? You can't, right? Because um, you were born what? I was born in Quezon City. So, hindi pwede. Hindi ka qualified to run for pero governor pwede. Oh my gosh! I'm I'm I have to win my first seat first. Can't we th- can't we think ahead? Ah, uh, you know, for me, I'm I'm a realist, and I, I want to get past this this major goal first, and uh, that's what I'm focused on. Okay, will it ever stop? We have one life to live, mm. and you have to make the most of it, and to really figure out what is our impact. You know, what is our impact? And so for me, um, if elected, I would have, you know, up to 12 years to serve in the state legislature. And so I can think of all the things that I can do in 12 years um, because there's incredible opportunity, whether that's touching education, whether that's building a pipeline for leadership for underrepresented communities, whether that's fighting for the climate, fighting for more programs and resources here. There are a lot of incredible opportunities at the state level. email from me and Michael. Jessica, can you please do this? Can you help us with this? It would be nice. I'm, I'm really excited for you. Thank you. For, for, for women, specifically women, is there a specific program in your in your mind or down yeah. the down the line for? Your... No, I mean for me, my family didn't have any political connections. You know, I, you know, got my foot in the door after I got sick by um, just telling my story. I applied for an internship in the Obama administration and told them what happened to me and why this was so personal and why I cared so much. And our experiences are enough. Um, and our, our, our experience are enough. Ganda. And so uh, just telling my story allowed me to get my foot in the door um, against a lot of very competitive college students from fancy schools um, that I did not go to. And, you know, for me, um, along the way, um, it kind of happened backwards. But after I got my foot in the door, then I came across um, a lot of great programs. You know, one of them, um, you know, is called uh, the Filipino Women's Network. So mm. that's a network of Filipino women um, that uh, from all industries, public and private, that they gather to be able to actually build a network for to promote Filipinas. Um, there's also uh, a lot of uh, incredible uh, women's organizations um, like uh, uh, Emily's List, um, that's for women. There's a, that's for women uh, who, who want to run for office one day. Uh, there's also, if you're Asian American and Pacific Islander, that's um, called APAL, the Asia Pacific American Leadership Foundation. Um, they have a boot camp for people who want to become potential candidates. So these are all programs that I was lucky enough to be able to um, be around, to participate in some of the programming 
And I'm happy to share a, a list with you in case yes. that's helpful for yes. your listeners yes. about some of the things that I was able to go through and really benefit and utilize um, coming here. But, you know, I think consistently what I've learned and that what I've seen is that we don't have enough. We haven't quite yet built the infrastructure to really build a pipeline f- to promote um, Asian American women, let alone mm. Filipino women. Yeah. Um, in government, let alone running for office. And so that's something I hope to build in this experience um, is really our pipeline to make it easier for the next person who does this after me. And that's the point, you know, is to to break a glass ceiling, to leave the door open so that more people can come in. Uh, and that's what we have to do with these opportunities. You know, we are... Uh, and the, our Vice President Kamala Harris said this, we, we can be the first, but we, we won't be the last. How excited are you for this chapter of your life? Uh, I'm very excited. I, you know, launched uh, over three months ago. Uh, my family has been very supportive. The community has been supportive. Um, I have tremendous support from um, so many current state legislators, from labor, from business, from women's organizations, from youth organizations that are really coalescing around um, our campaign for assembly. And I say our campaign because even though my name will be on the ballot, um, everybody is running with me. Um, and, you know, a lot of people are putting their neck out on the line because they know that what we're fighting for is something bigger. It's to be able to make government work better for everybody. It's to be able to have our communities have a voice at the table and a vote um, on these really important issues that impact our quality of life. And, you know, every election cycle is really important. But this election cycle, we have so much at stake because currently we don't have any Filipino representation at all at the state level. And we are the second largest Asian American demographic. uh, Yep, in the in the entire state. Wow. And we don't have a single Filipino in our state body. Uh, there's only ever been two Filipinos elected. Uh, that is Rob Bonta, who is now our attorney general, and Todd Gloria, who is the first Filipino mayor of San Diego. Uh, both have endorsed me and are helping me uh, hopefully win in March. But, you know, that's what's at stake here. Um, we have to make space for ourselves at the table because we don't have one right now. I have a question. Sure. Would you be our first Filipina elected official in the state? I would be. Would you want to be? A hundred percent. hundred percent. That's our endorsement for you. Ladies and gentlemen, Miss uh. Jessica Calaza. Thank you. We'll post everything in the description. And please, let's make it happen. Kung Pinoy ka, you know who to run behind. Not just because Pinoy. Kayo na bahala mag-research, do your research. And I'm telling you right now, I've done my research. You should do yours too. Worth it.